This is Joshua Bell with the Kilt and the Cloth. Uh, we are in the book of Exodus. Um, we are at Exodus chapter 7. Uh, I'm just texting Patty Sylvester real quick. They're camping. They're camping, but they wanted me to know that. Uh, so uh, let's talk about plagues. All right. So again, you, you all know that I try to go <clears throat> not what the church is taught, really, but really more the academic side. So we have some, we have a few issues when you talk about the plagues. Uh, because they're inconsistent in, in the ways that you read them and the way that you translate them. For example, in the ancient texts, now this is pre-Masoretic, so this is without vowel placements or any of the other stuff that they did. So in the ancient texts, the plagues are in a different order. Well, that doesn't really matter, but like at the same time, it kind of does because the order kind of foreshadows what's going to happen on in the future the rest of the book Exodus. So that's kind of a big deal. Another form of this is the Masoretes. Not only do they have it in a different order, it's a different person who presents it. So remember, we talked about this before in the sense that Moses doesn't ever speak when he's doing this. It's Aaron speaking on behalf of Moses. So God gives the words to Moses, and then Aaron speaks what Moses has been told to by God. So in the Masoretic text, Aaron... Uh, is the one that speaks, and then Moses has been given the words. That matters, right? Like it matters who hears it. In the Septuagint, Moses speaks, and so when you start to translate it from Greek into English, Moses is doing the speaking. Now again, that matters, right? Because then if, if you if you change the person who's speaking. You change the impetus of what we read last week. All of a sudden, it becomes uh, Moses doing all the stuff, even though that's okay. It, it just kind of changes the emphasis of how that works. So, and I'm thinking, I think I have that right. Some what happens usually is is that I, I get, I, I know the basics, and then sometimes I get them out of order. But if I remember correctly, Moses is speaking in the Septuagint text. Aaron is speaking in the Masoretic text, and, and then they comment on the fact that Moses has been told by God to speak to Aaron about the plagues. Now, why does this matter? Whoever it is that's speaking to Pharaoh is speaking on the people of, on behalf of the people of God. That's the part that's important. Now, let me give you some reasons why I think it's important academically. Aaron eventually becomes the first priest, the first high priest. We design a, later on in Exodus, we're going to get to the part where they're going to talk about his, his whole uh, garments and all of his robes and, and all of that stuff. And so if Aaron becomes the first Levitical priest, we want him to speak on behalf of Moses. We, we, we got to have that. Because the Levitical priests, are the ones writing this book. You see how that works? So the ones that are writing this book, they got to have their first and foremost priest be the one that speaks. If Moses is the one doing it, Moses doesn't do anything, except he's, he's a Mashiach. So he's 
he's the superhero guy, right? He does all of these amazing things. He takes the rod and hits a rock and water comes flowing. He parts the Red Sea when he raises the rod. All of these things happen because Moses is, is this superhero in a lot of ways of the Hebrew Bible, but he doesn't have to speak on behalf. He's also given the Ten Commandments, right? That Aaron's going to have to make sure everybody follows. So, and Aaron's older than Moses, which you find out here in just a little bit. Like, so you all of a sudden you have this weird, this weird dynamic. So what does that have to do with the plagues? Well, the plagues are the first time that people outside the Hebrews have seen the true power of God. You see how that works? Would you say that again? So the plagues become the first time outside the Hebrews that see the full power of God. Tower of Babel, that we, we, we kind of talked about it when we were talking about Genesis. That's kind of a, it's a lore, it's a myth, right? It's a story that talks about how we all speak different languages and how we all look different. You start talking about Noah and the flood. Well, nobody knew that God did the flood, right? They just knew that if they didn't get on the ark, they were going to die, and they all thought it was a joke. So Noah's family sees the power of God, but everybody else dies. So you see how this starts to work? Even, even in the stories of Abraham and Sarah, Pharaoh is approached by God, but nothing never sees the full power of God. Sodom and Gomorrah, the people know that no. <laughs> The only ones that knew that Sodom and Gomorrah get destroyed are the people in Sodom and Gomorrah, but they don't know why. Only Lot does and his family. You see how this works? And Abram, obviously, because he's, he's had this conversation with the messengers previous. So this story is a big deal. This is the first time that a Hebrew has approached uh, other power, said, you either let my people go or bad things are going to happen. And when they don't, God shows God's full power in front of this other power, this other human power. And this is the first time that they ever have seen the full power of God. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a big, big deal. Talmud goes into a lot of detail on this. Uh, and, and, and a lot of conversation. They, like, they love Aaron. They, they, they like Aaron a lot. And they like to talk about Moses and his in his the way he looked, I think, a lot more. But really, in this part of the ancient text, it matters who speaks. So I'm going to say, just for our benefits, our goal is to think that Aaron is speaking on behalf of Moses, that God is giving him the words. So uh, don't call it the Trinity, but to me, it feels Trinitarian, right? <laughs> God speaks, Moses hears, Aaron uh, passes the word on. Make sense? Oh. Yes, go ahead. I was just going to say, Aaron's the only recognizable Hebrew. Right. I mean, Moses is, but there's no connection to him. Yeah, no, he, he hasn't been. And, we, and if we go back to the discussion that we had last week, that Moses had to have been brought up in ways of the Jew, Jewish faith. Then that makes sense, right? He, he understands this, but the people don't recognize yeah, that's, him. That's who I'm after, is the people. Right. Aaron, they recognize. He's an elder. They've already established him as an elder. So uh, his, his words matter. And so how he handles this from here on out uh, is kind of a big deal. Um, so with that being said, 
Let's talk a little bit about the plagues. Um, what do you remember about them from the from the movies or even just from our Sunday school classes? Without reading it yet, this is kind of just kind of throw some out that we think we remember. Oh, the, what the plagues were? Yeah, the river. The, the river turning to blood. The rod. The rod. Turning to a snake. Yeah. But that's not one of the plagues. No, that's grasshoppers. Well, there was our last week. That's true. Yeah. And we have so many grasshoppers. It mm -hmm. comes to mind. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That one comes to my mind uh, all the time. I remember living in Scotts Bluff, Nebraska, and we had a swarm of locusts come mm -hmm. in and destroy a wheat field. And, it, and all I remember is seeing this black cloud coming yeah. out of the sky and my dad going, okay, everybody get in the house. And we're mm -hmm. like, what? And we had no idea what was going on. And it just came in and just swooped in and tore up this wheat field in less than an hour. I just remember that. And every time I see a grasshopper, that's all I think of. Because they're humongous in Nebraska. They're like that long. They're not, but they're not huge, you know. But yeah, that's, it's the same thing. So locusts, definitely. I'm surprised we didn't have army worms. That's what I. Yes. Killed my honeysuckle. Oh, they killed all my grass in my backyard. Yeah. Before I realized what was going on. Frogs. Frogs. Boils. Boils. Flies. Flies. Different than locusts. No. Well, terrible yucky things and the hail yeah the hail and the hail yeah i marked all of that in my that. Tablet, but i didn't and the last and then the last one which is to kill the firstborn male child of every household that does the, not have it doesn't say male does. and the animals and the animals too unless it has what I, does it say male i thought it was male I, I might be wrong. I, we'll, we'll I get, get it when it, we get there. Like I said, it gets all fuzzy. But yeah. basically, children die if you and animals die without lamb's blood above someone's door. And then the this is where it gets interesting because Hebrews don't look at. Well, we'll talk about it, but I will say that there is no understanding of the Holy Spirit like a Christian has the understanding of the Holy Spirit. It's a different idea. It does say firstborn son. It does say. Okay. I, was, I was hoping I had that part right, but you never know. I get them confused. And the firstborn of the cattle as well. Mm -hmm. By cattle, they meant every animal, I think. And they're gnats we didn't name, but it's right here in big print in my Bible. That's right. So these 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 did things we are get frogs. Yes, we did. Okay. Yeah. We got everybody these are pests. Mm -hmm. And then you look at the very first thing: uh, the the water turning into blood. Yeah, she said that one. Yeah, that one right there. That's that's uh, earth shattering because then the water is no longer drinkable or usable, especially if you're Hebrew, because it's blood. You're not supposed to touch blood in any way, shape, or form. So they have to be far, far away from the Nile when that when that happens. So the Hebrews know. And I don't know what they do about the animals because they would have been drinking from it. That's right. Maybe they're smart enough not to. Well, we hope so. But so, what they do with the bricks? With what? The bricks. Oh, what bricks? <laughs> you mean the ones that we read about last week? And yeah. Gone? Oh, they, well, it's they're not going to make bricks with bloody water. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're they're uh, that's this is the, the the conundrum of what's the point of the brick story? Like you could you could have taken that whole thing out, but it, it doesn't give you the impetus to understand how um, beat and worn down they are. In this moment, which again, like we talked about last week, um, is this, it's a, it's a 
it's not a humorous statement. It's a, it's they know that that's just any other day. Every single day that ends in Y, they're beat, oppressed, and treated like garbage. So why now? Why is that such a bad deal? Well, it's a story writing technique that wants to set us up for the plagues. This is why God has to exude God's power. Because if you remember what we ended up reading last time, before we got to the genealogy, was God has heard God's people. God has heard their crop. And so now it's important that God responds. Now God res going to respond so that the whole world will now see God's power. And they go after the Nile. That's, that's, the, that's the whole biggest, world. biggest God for Egypt. Yeah. I mean, everything comes from that's the right. Nile. That's right. Okay. So let's read it. Chapter 7. The Lord replied to Moses, See, I place you in the role of God to Pharaoh with your brother Aaron as your prophet. You shall repeat all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh to let the Israelites depart from his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that I may multiply my signs and marvels in the land of Egypt. And when Pharaoh does not heed you, I will lay my hand upon Egypt and deliver my ranks my people, the Israelites, from the land of Egypt with extraordinary chastisements. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I stretch out my hand over Egypt and bring out the Israelites from their midst, then this Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded them. So they did. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they made their demand on Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh speaks to you and says, produce your marble, you shall say to Aaron, take your rod and cast it down before Pharaoh. It shall turn into a serpent. So Moses and Aaron came before Pharaoh and did just as the Lord had commanded. Aaron cast down his rod in the presence of Pharaoh and his courtiers, and it turned into a serpent. Then Pharaoh, for his part, summoned the wise men and the sorcerers and the Egyptian magicians in turn did the same with their spells. Each cast down his rod and they turned into serpents, but Aaron's rod swallowed their rods. Yet Pharaoh heart, Pharaoh's heart stiffened and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. And the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh is stubborn. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is coming out to the water and station yourself before him at the edge of the Nile, taking with you the rod that turned into a snake. And say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you to say, let my people go that they may worship me in the wilderness. But you have paid no heed until now. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. See, I shall strike the water in the Nile with the rod that is in my hand, and it will be turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile will die. The Nile will stink so that the Egyptians will find it impossible to drink the water of the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, take your rod and hold out your arm over the waters of Egypt, its rivers, its canals, its ponds, and all its bodies of water, that they may turn to blood. There shall be blood throughout the land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and stone. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded. He lifted up the rod and struck the water in the Nile and the sight of Pharaoh and his courtiers, and all the water in the Nile was to blood, and the fish in the Nile died. 
the Nile stinks so that the Egyptians could not drink from the water from the Nile. And there was blood throughout the land of Egypt. But when the Egyptian magicians did the same with their spells, Pharaoh's heart stiffened and he did not heed them. As the Lord had spoken, Pharaoh turned and went into his palace, paying no regard even to this. And all the Egyptians had to dig round about the Nile for drinking water because they could not drink the water of the Nile. When seven days passed after the Lord struck the, the Nile, the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go. Then I will play uh, that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, then I will plague your whole country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs and they shall come up and enter your palace, your bedchamber and your bed, the houses of your courtiers and your people and your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you and on your people and all of your courtiers. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, hold out your arm with the rod over the rivers, the canals and the ponds and bring up the frogs on the land of Egypt. Aaron held out his arms over the water of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same with their spells and brought frogs upon the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to remove the frogs from me and my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. And Moses said to Pharaoh, You may have this triumph over me, for what, I, what time shall I plead in behalf of you or your courtiers and your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses <clears throat> remain only in the Nile <clears throat> for tomorrow, he replied. And Moses said, as you say, that you may know that there is none like the Lord our God. The frogs shall retreat from you and your courtiers and your people. They shall remain only in the Nile. Then Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh's presence. And Moses cried out to the Lord in the matter of the frogs, which he had inflicted upon Pharaoh. And the Lord did as Moses asked. And the frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields. And they piled them up in heaps till the land stank. And they piled them up. In, uh, but when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he became stubborn and would not heed them as the Lord had spoken. So just pause right there because that's a, that's a bunch. I mean, we're, we're now into the fourth, what, fourth plague? plague? No, three plagues. Third, third plague. You all see a pattern? Yeah, definitely bullheaded man. We already know that God hardened his heart. We know that. What else is going on? Show me one more time. Show me one more time. And then what happens after he, after he shows it? Still hard. Still hard? And he brings his people right. in to show and they can do the, I can same, do the same thing, thing. yeah is that how you guys remember that no yeah right. I not every one of them yeah. i don't know how they could have turned the water to blood when it was already blood but that's my mom <laughs> up there <laughs> i don't see how they could well now this pharaoh is not the original pharaoh. right right he is definitely yeah, this is this is where it gets confusing because we we know that it's most likely that case, but regardless, this is a pharaoh that does not know Joseph or any of the other people. Well, that's the description I got here. Main man. That's right. Yeah, nobody <laughs> likes him in the town at all. 
so far the magicians haven't undid anything they've simply duplicated that's right well I like the rod turning into snakes and then Aaron's mm -hmm. snake eats the, them. Yeah, like that was kind of cool. I forgot about that. I, I, I had forgotten about that too. And then there's the uh, the frogs. I had forgotten that that Moses had asked, uh, well, the Pharaoh had asked him for just one free day, just one day. And Moses goes to God and says, yeah. And God says, Moses goes to God and asks, and God says, sure. But then what ends up happening is it doesn't remove them. They just die. And then and then it says the whole land stink. I, I forgot all about that. I, I, had for, I had thought that it went from frogs right into the other stuff. I, I had forgotten. And then, of course, you've got to have the hardened heart. They're still in the river, though. Right. They're still in the river. Yeah. Yeah. They're all dead. I'm wondering if they're in the bloody river. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Because they have the fish. Right with the dead fish. Yes. I didn't remember the Egyptians digging up water. I hadn't either. They, they said that they, which allows them to live. I mean, right. Of course, Pharaoh probably had wine, so it didn't matter. But <laughs> they didn't care. No. I thought I'd also forgotten that um, the plague with the water also went to the wood barrels and yeah. the troughs i didn't remember that i just had always thought it was just the river they said ponds so anywhere they collected water it was all turned to blood that i did not remember at all i always thought it was denial well let's keep going unless you guys have any more questions Okay, verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, hold out your rod and strike the dust of the earth, and it shall turn to, now this is where it's going to get interesting with their translations. Mine says lice. Oh. What does yours say? Naps. 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 Lice. Yours says lice. 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 So, uh, naps, lice, the, the goal here. Is this obviously this is the Jewish translation society because they said you know that would be something that would be a pest to, to people. The lies would nuts. It would drive you nuts, right? <laughs> Nats would drive you nuts also, which is why the Greeks would have said that because that would have been you could have easily said sand fleas at this yeah. point. You know, anything that we know that you just can't get rid of real easily. Uh, so they but they could not. The vermin remained, oh wait, sorry, I skipped the line. Well, they did so. And with uh, Ron struck the dirt, the blah, 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 lice throughout the land of Egypt, verse 14. The magicians did the life with their spells to produce lice or vermin, but they did they could not. The vermin remained upon man and beast, and the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart stiffened, and, the, and he would not heed them, as the Lord had spoken. And the Lord said to Moses early in the morning, present yourself to Pharaoh as he is coming out to the water and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may worship me. For if you do not let my people go, I will let loose swarms of insects. Uh, some of yours might even say wild beasts, but against your courtiers, you and your courtiers and your people and your houses, 
the houses of the Egyptians and the very ground they stand on shall be filled with swarms of insects. But on that day, I will set apart the region of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of insects shall be there, that you may know that I, the Lord, am in the midst of the land. And I will make a distinction between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall come to pass. And the Lord did so. Heavy swarms of insects invaded Pharaoh's palaces and the houses of warriors throughout the country of Egypt. The land was ruined because of the swarms of insects. Now, is that what you're saying? Insects? Flies. 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 The Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, go and sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses replied, it would not be right to do this for what we sacrifice the Lord. Our God is untouchable to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice that which is untouchable to the Egyptians before their very eyes, will they not stone us? So we must go a distance of three days into the wilderness and sacrifice the Lord our God as he may command us. Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice the Lord your God in the wilderness, but do not go very far. Plead then for me. And Moses said, when I leave your presence, I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of insects depart tomorrow with Pharaoh and the courtiers and his people, but not let Pharaoh, but let not Pharaoh again act deceitfully, not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses left Pharaoh's presence and pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord visited Moses asked, and he removed the swarms of insects from Pharaoh, from his courtiers, and from his people. Not one remained, but Pharaoh became stubborn, this time also, and would not let the people go. The Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go to worship, for if you refuse to let them go and continue to hold them, then the hand of the Lord will strike your livestock in the fields. The horses, the asses, the camels, the cattle, and the sheep with a very severe pestilence. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of the Egyptians, so that nothing shall die of all that belongs to the Israelites. The Lord has fixed the time tomorrow. The Lord will do this thing in the, in the land. And the Lord did so the next day. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but all the livestock of the Israelites, not a beast, died. When Pharaoh inquired, he found that not a head of the livestock of Israel had died. Yet Pharaoh remained stubborn, and he would not let the people go. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Each of you take handfuls of soot from the kiln, and let Moses throw it towards the sky in the sight of Pharaoh. This is my favorite description, by the way. It shall become a fine dust all over the land of Egypt, and cause an inflammation breaking out in boils, on man and beast throughout the land of Egypt. So they took the soot of the kiln, appeared before Moses. Moses threw it toward the sky, and it caused an inflammation breaking out in boils on man and beast. The magicians were unable to confront Moses because of the inflammation. For the inflammation afflicted the magicians as well as all the other Egyptians. But the Lord stiffened the heart of Pharaoh, and he would not heed them, just as the Lord had told Moses. So just pause for just a second. So we're now at on five, six, we're on six. Six is boils. It's it, interesting that the Lord stiffened the heart of the Pharaoh. Every single time. <laughs> and they tell us that's going to happen at the very beginning. Right. Or he tells Moses and we over here. 
And, and isn't it weird too, because I, I always thought this was just an interesting conundrum that in the earlier stories in Genesis, he softened the heart of Pharaoh. But, you know, you talk about Isaac and his wife, you talk about Abraham and his wife, you know, there's, and uh, Pharaoh gave them and gave them and gave them to get out away from them here. God is hardening his heart and he's inflicting pain upon them. So my question, if he's hardening the Pharaoh's heart, who is he, who's he testing? Who is God testing? Is he testing Moses or is he testing Pharaoh? So this Pharaoh. is a phenomenal Midrashic question. So part of, I remember this very distinct discussion when we got to the plagues in my Hebrew Bible class. Why would God do that? Right? Why would God cause harm to God's creation? And, and who's the story for? Right? Like, is it for the Levitical priests? Is it for the people that are hearing it at the time? And, and, and Dr. Davison said yes. And I'm just, uh, and I went, okay. Because one of the hardest parts for us is, as Christians is, is that we, when we read the New Testament, we, we know the story, right? Like we know the end of the story. We already have the ending. And so when we read the Bible, we're, we're reading to answer our own answer. Like why, why is it that Paul says these things? Well, because Jesus is the answer, right? When the Jews write, they don't ever have an answer. They're never going to have an answer. Their answer is always yes, because the questions are always going to come up about your faith. In the Jewish culture, there's, there's never an end to the story. God is, God will be, and God always has been. There's never going to be a change, which is hard, again, because as Christians, we, we, want, we want to know, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. You know, we want to know how that works. In the Jewish culture, that's not as important. And that's hard. So, but, but I can say this, in the plague story, the people that are hearing this are trying to remember why it is that they're out in the wilderness again. They've escaped from Egypt eons before, and they're sitting around campfires, sitting around talking about their faith and their journeys of being Hebrew, and why is it that this happened? Well, it makes sense then to talk about it in such a way that says Egypt has come and, ha and has been punished. Our enemies will be punished um, if we stay this course, we continue to practice Torah. Our enemies will be taken care of. We don't have to worry about them. So that group of people hearing it, it matters. It, go um, it goes back and forth, though, in... Israelites getting punished right sometimes the Egyptians only sometimes both now this is a different story in that sense because in this story the Egyptians are being they're being they're not even being disciplined Pharaoh is so everybody else is at the mercy of the ruler and what the Israelites are trying to establish is that our ruler, the one true God, is more powerful than this Pharaoh. And look at what this Pharaoh does to everybody under his protection. He causes them harm out of his own arrogance. But again, sometimes the Israelites get punished. Sometimes they don't. Right. It... But why did they get punished? 
because they're still there. That's right. I mean, I don't, they, they haven't wanted to leave yet. I mean, it's more than them just having them. Plus, this is the first part of the story. So, right. This is the, this is the beginning so, of the story. So we haven't even got to things like Jonah, right? So these people don't even know stories like Jonah, but what's the most important part about Jonah? If you think about the book of Jonah. He what, fights with God. Or he he fights can, with I mean, God, but what does God do? Saves him. Hmm? Sure, at the, at the end, at the end of the story. But what, what happens? What happens at the beginning of the story? Jonah's very beginning part of the story. He doesn't do what God said. God, God tells Jonah, "You got to go to Nineveh. You're going to tell them that if they don't repent, I'm going to, I'm going to burn them down." Jonah says, "No, I'm not going to do that." And then the rest of the story is Jonah being disciplined by God. And then he gets there, and then he does exactly eventually what God asks him to do. And the people hear Jonah. Including the king, whoever. That's right. And the king even says, oh, my goodness, we've been wrong this whole time. We Please allow your God to forgive us. We'll repent. And then Jonah has a temper tantrum. That's right. And he goes outside of him. And he sits outside underneath the tree while the other people are praising God's name. <laughs> He's sitting outside the tree, and then God still protects him. He puts a fig tree there, puts leaves on it, and the figs give him sustenance. But the end of the story is, is yes, God delivers Jonah. But at the very beginning of that story, God told Jonah to do something, and he chose not to do it. Why do the Israelites get in trouble all the time? Because they didn't do what they were supposed to do. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. So some of this, in all of this, do you think it's also trying to tell us or the Israelites that you need to stay the course, stay with me, and you will be delivered. And you know, you can come to me, you can rely on me, I will take care of you. Yeah, that's exactly what's going on. And then God's telling Moses and Aaron to do this in such a way that everyone else is visibly watching this, you know, especially the Israelites. They're watching Moses and Aaron do these things in the name of God. And when that happens, they're supposed to be changed. Pharaoh's heart does not change. Hey, I have a question. Uh -huh. Back in chapter 8, verse um, 28, where Pharaoh tells Moses to pray for him. Yeah. Even though he has a hard heart, and sure. he, so in the back of his mind, he's still. I think he's seeing God work, but he just doesn't still, know he doesn't want to get he doesn't want to give up that power. That right, he still wants God to, or he still wants Moses to pray for him. That's exactly right. So, so now there's the human component. He wants the cake and eat it. <laughs> That's exactly right. He wants the cake and he wants to eat it too. Cover so all his bases. I'm going to cover all my bases. I'm still in power. I mean, all these things, could, they could all be explainable. Right? Like, I mean, think about it. During Joseph's time, there was seven years of famine, seven years of plenty, or vice versa, seven years of plenty, seven years of famine, right? So was he trying to get the Egyptians to believe? Well, Moses or the Pharaoh? 
the Lord. The Lord has. So this is a good question. Israelites to strengthen their faith. So academically, what we always say is, is that this is just the story about the Israelites, and everybody else is a, a, a happenstance bystander. In this story, however, this is different, right? All of the Egyptians are seeing the power of this Hebrew God. So a lot of academics will say that this is a, a show of power that's defeating another show of power. So there's the God power, and then there's Pharaoh's power. Pharaoh's power is only for the people of Egypt, but God's power is everyone, even Egypt, Pharaoh, and everybody underneath that umbrella of the sun. Um, and so the, the, the problem with it then becomes, but God isn't concerned about the Egyptians converting. That's the hard part of this story. God doesn't, doesn't care if the Egyptians decide to be followers of God because they're not his people in this story. Okay. Even though we know that they are, in this story, he just cares about the Israelites and they've been enslaved by another human. There's another part of this. It's, it's a really big meta-narrative. In the Torah, one of the, one of the hardest things for us to grasp is, is that one human should not have power over another human ever because only God can do that. Um, so one of the, the meta narrative here is Pharaoh has inflicted power on another human being in such a way that they've treated them less than animals. And God doesn't like that. In any way, shape, or form. So if I'm going to teach a bunch of kids about how you should not ever try to overpower someone else, this is the perfect story for that. Pharaoh is trying to overpower the people with the brick story right before this. And then in the midst of this story, they have this moment where Pharaoh is continuing to inflict its power in such a way that everyone gets punished. And they still don't get the idea that only God has the power over all humankind. Super frustrating, super complicated. But the, the meta narrative here is Pharaoh is trying to be in charge of stuff that Pharaoh can't be in charge of. So, so it's a it's a little bit of a struggle. Um, it's it's not a far reach, but it's hard to explain. Um, and then there's all these plagues. Right. And the plagues all have meaning. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to ask why you think Moses broke the storytelling rules and with the gnats. Pharaoh's not approached on that one. Uh, well, and neither, yeah. and neither with the animals, right? Did he approach him about the animals? When the animals died? We haven't yeah. got there. Go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord did. I'll kill all your animals. Yeah, but we're not there yet. Okay. Yeah, we did that. I thought that was number six, and the and the boils were seven. Start the animals, and then seven was the boils. Okay, yeah. So I think it's a, an accident. I, I honestly do. I think it's an accident. I just, um, I don't think it's on purpose. I think, uh, and I'm and I'm just speaking academically at this point because the uh, the thing that you'll notice throughout this whole story is. Just, 
the formula is still the formula. It doesn't it doesn't vary very much. Yeah, uh, well, that that's what I'm saying. Yeah, you know, almost all of them he approaches Pharaoh. Yeah, yeah. He he's told what's going to happen. He goes there. It happens, and then ends with you know. But Pharaoh's heart was still hardened. That's right. This also reminds me of Jesus. And in that, it should everything is known, but it still happens. That's right. I but mean, what is what is? Remember the, the the genre of writing here. Moses is being lifted up as a Mashiach. Mashiach. He's here. Look at this cool stuff that Moses has done because God has asked you to do it. What is Jesus? Well, he's our Mashiach, our Messiah. He's the one that tells us. And notice that the form of writing is not that different. Yeah. And I guess the part I'm referencing is, though, my understanding or thought process, Jesus knew everything. Mm -hmm. Judas wasn't a surprise. No. Nope. I mean, he knew he was going to die, um, you know. And even with them writing, because we've read and we know, but they tell you what's going to happen. And then it happens. Mm -hmm. And no matter who it is, even Pharaoh, um, God's still in power. I mean, that ultimately, you know, he doesn't break promises. That's right. And he's in power. And even the mighty Pharaoh, who has recently enslaved him, whatever recent is has, has yeah has no power not not over them that's right uh for the sake of our recording i want to finish uh, i want to get to chapter the end of chapter nine where did we leave off nine or start with nine no <clears throat> just before the plague of hay. Okay, so we're we're just starting at chapter nine. Yes. No, no, no. no. Verse 13, thirteen. Thirteen of nine. Okay. So the Lord said to Moses, early in the morning, present yourself to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Hebrews. Notice that the name goes back and forth between Israelites and Hebrews. <clears throat> Let my people go to worship me, for this time I will send all my plates upon your person and your quarters and your people, and in order that you may know that there is none like me in all the world. I could have stretched forth my hand and stricken you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been effaced from the earth. Nevertheless, I have spared you for this purpose in order to show you my power and in order that my fame may resound throughout the world. See? Yet you continue to thwart uh, or exalt yourself over my people and do not let them go. This time, tomorrow, I will rain down a very heavy hail, such as not been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Therefore, order your livestock and everything you have in the open brought under shelter Every man and beast that is found outside, not having been brought to earth, <coughs> shall be perished and shall perish when the hail comes down upon them. Those among Pharaoh's courtiers who feared the Lord's word brought their slaves and livestock and doors to safety. But those who paid no regard to the word of the Lord left their slaves and livestock in the open. The Lord said to Moses, hold out your arm now toward the sky that hail may fall on the land of Egypt. Upon man and beast and all the grasses of the field in the land of Egypt. So Moses held out his rod 
toward the sky, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire streamed down to the ground as the Lord rained down the hail upon the land of Egypt. The hail was very heavy, fire flashing in the midst of the hail, such as had not fallen on the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. Throughout the land of Egypt, the hail struck down all that were in the open, both man and beast. The hail also struck down all the grasses of the field and shattered all the trees of the field. Only in the region of Goshen, where the Israelites were, there was no hail. Thereupon Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I stand guilty this time. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord that there may be an end of God's thunder and of hail. I will let you go. You need to stay no longer. Moses said to him, As I go out of the city, I shall spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and the hail will fall no more, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But I know that you and your courtiers do not yet fear the Lord God. Now the flax and barley were ruined, for the barley was in the ear, and the flax was in bud, but the wheat and the emmer were not hurt, for they ripened late, you see. You all should know that. <laughs> Leaving Pharaoh, Moses went outside in the city and spread out his hands to the Lord. The thunder and the hail ceased, and no rain came pouring down upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he became stubborn <laughs> and reverted to his guilty ways, as did his courtiers. So Pharaoh's heart stiffened, and he would not let the Israelites go, just as the Lord had foretold Moses. It's just a... It's another grain, obviously. Yes, it's another type of grain. It, it literally... Uh, it reminds me of Milo. Um, yeah, that's it's what it looks like. The big poofs of brown, brownish red on top of a stick. That's what it kind of looks like. That sounds like broom corn. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it's different than broom corn. Yeah, it's yeah. a... Okay. The, uh, but it, it looks just like that. You can use it for all kinds of stuff. Um, and then, so, but the, but they have to, they have to leave it that part of the story, right? Because we're going to have to have the unleavened bread. You can't make unleavened bread without wheat. You can't, you can't do that. I mean, you can try, uh, it, it doesn't work, right? So you've got to have those moments. Well, writers are obviously getting a setup for this moment. Um, that's getting ready to happen. The other parts of this that are kind of fascinating to me, um, the hail, fire, and bridgestone. Did anybody catch the language since Egypt became a nation? Does anybody want to take a guess to why they said that? When did they become? Oh, thousands yeah. of years before. Yeah, thousands of years before. I would assume that it's... Uh... Allowing for the flood. Allowing for the flood. I mean, that things yeah. have happened in the past, but. Also, well, this is punishment on. Back on Egypt again. I mean, yep. you know, y'all have had it. Had a good up until now that you're. You're poking my people, so. This was. This is pretty dramatic. They also are back now allowing Goshen 
not yep. to suffer. I mean, we're, we're they're okay there, which I would have thought that the Israelites would have had enough wheat there without having to spare Egypt's crops. Right. Or they didn't, weren't spared, but they didn't spoil. Maybe God's being nice because they'll be able to survive after the Well, they also took all their animals alive and safe. You all remember what Joseph's family did for Egypt? Through the herds. They were through the herds and the livestock. Even the ugly ones. <coughs> I said even the ugly ones. Even the ugly ones. <laughs> would this be, would it kind of set a, an idea of a boundary? Yes. Where, I mean, we talked about Egypt as a nation. Well, before we've always talked about the Amorites. And so we, they're from. They're over here from over the here from, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Everybody else. And, but they've never been. We've never had a, a land or a boundary. Right. Because they, they move all the time, too. Do we know where Goshen is? Kind of. A northeast part of Egypt? Yes. So it's closest to... Uh, I mean, I always think of Egypt looking like a cup, right? Like, I mean, it's the easiest way for me to think of it is you got Alexandria up here at the kind of at the middle, but the, the river's kind of kind of in the middle and it comes right down. So Goshen is up here on the right-hand side, kind of closest to Israel as you can get. But, you know, that's not Israel at that point. So it's, it's way up northeast. And I'm probably wrong because, you know, again, the problem with maps about this time is Nobody kept them. They just had landmarks. And well, that part right there is my land. How do you know? Well, I, I, I claimed it. Well, has it got your name on it? Well, if you go up there, I carved my name in a rock. So Goshen is, but as far as we know, it's way up there closest to Mesopotamia as you can get. Well, the only reason I ask is for these people who have to prove everything. That's one of the places that they've identified or as close to one of the places identified where they could cross a sea. Right. Cross a sea. Yep. I mean. Yep. And there's a, there's a, what they call the Red Sea is like right there, but it's really, it's a big humongous lake. Um, like the Sea of Galilee is, is just a big, big lake, but it's freshwater, which is abnormal. You know, that's, so let me know that right there today, that's where we would say that that's the place where I told you that they found the three chariots at the bottom of the thing versus the thousands that should be there. Literally, 600. the 600, yes, right, 600, littering the base of the Red Sea. But, um, it looks, according to the map in this, it looks like, and they have a question mark behind it. Yeah. Goshen. It's kind of a, where the Suez starts. Over by the canal? Through. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so does Goshen mean anything? Uh, yes. It just... I can't remember right now. I have to go back and look at my book. But yeah, Goshen is it's got a, it's got a terminology for I just can't remember the name of it. it like probably... Fertile land. Like that's the lack of a better phrase. It's like fertile land. But Goshen Shen is the name of the house. That would be the house. I mean, it might be just the house of God for that matter. But go is not God. So I have to just go is the one I can't remember. So remember, it's everything is you know, 
multiple syllables. So at the end of the phrase, when we're looking at Hebrew, you can go right to left versus left to right. So shin is its own word, which is kind of a bit is what means house. But when you put shin together, it means house of, uh, even though it has nothing like bet, beta, which would make more sense, but shin means house of, and then go, I don't know what that means. So that's what they do. Go backwards. I'll, I'll bring it down to English. That's what they do. Yeah. They go. They go. That's right. So they go away from that house. Um, so we're, we're going to stop there because I, I don't want to get into the ninth place uh, yet. Because there's a lot of stuff that takes place from chapter 10 on that happens slower. Like this has been fairly fast. This is we, We've read two full chapters, well, three full chapters, seven, eight, nine, um, today, and they went fast, right? Like it was, they went even an hour. When we get to chapter 10, stuff starts happening that we need to stop and talk about, and I want to make sure that we're all on the same page with, um, because what's going to happen here is, as we continue, the Hebrew culture is now establishing ritual and tradition. So when Pesach or what we know as Passover is, is created, there's meaning behind it. And it's not just this idea of blood above the door. There's a theological construct. Now, before I finish, next week, it's going to be harder than it has been before because we are now introducing theological concepts, not historical ones. Up until this point, we're just kind of giving the basic ideas of here's what God is, here's what God has done, done, and here's what God will do. There's been a few theological moments, but this one is massive. What I mean, the difference between theology and anthropology is theology is how and what they believe. Anthropology is this, the ways that they show it. So if I'm doing a worship study, I'm going to talk about how do they worship, not the why. Does that make sense? So this next week, we're going to talk about the why they believe some of the things that they do. And then what it does is it sets up the how. This is some of the very, this is some of our most ancient ways of understanding worship is in what we're going to read this time. Um, the other things I pointed out to you were just practices that they've inserted. They've not talked about the, the why. Right? This is all it's just been how. Now it's about the why and that. So I'll just leave that today with that idea. But did anybody else have any questions or comments before I stop the recording? I have a question. Okay. It's not about today. Oh, okay. I don't know what you all talked about what when I got when I went here. I it never dawned on me and I really didn't tell that the staff is the same staff that they have Right, right, right. So the Talmud has to that through all these people we talked about. Yeah. That never occurred to me. Yeah, so the Talmud does a really good job with this. Um, and that rod of Adam ends up eventually landing into the uh, the Ark of the Covenant. The, the pieces of it will land in there. Again, not in not in the ancient texts do you see that. It's just a rock. But in the, the Talmud, the, the, the ways of understanding it now, uh, it is. So, yeah, there's a lot of 
really cool little nuances that they bring to it that I would say modern day Jews know more about the Talmud than they do the ancient texts, where Christians know a lot about the ancient texts and the Jewish culture. Yeah, they talk about it, but not like we do. So they kind of look at this text as our apocrypha. So, and that's another conversation for other day. So is Jesus, the shepherd staff, more old school than new school? Yeah, big time. Remember, he, all these guys are Jewish. When Jesus is alive, he's got to have a staff. And like, that's, that's, that's important. That, that ties into Moses and, and, and Aaron. I mean, so... All, all those writers of the New Testament are trying to make sure that we understand that Jesus is one of us and he's different than us. Like he's, he's answering the question that we've had for centuries. Um, and they've got to portray him like Elijah. They've got to portray him like Moses. And he's got to have the qualities of King David. And he's got to be knowledgeable as Isaiah. He's got to be all of them in one as they're writing the New Testament. So that's, that's why they don't reject. That's why they don't I mean, reject him. Uh, up, up to a point. <laughs> that's why they call him a great prophet. There's no questions in their life that he was absolutely 100% one of the greatest prophets we've ever had. And then you have the tongue that lifts him up in a lot, even more different ways. They don't talk about Jesus, but they do. So I'll tell you more about that later. All right, I'm going to go ahead and stop the recording.